back to the KCSL Parenting Shorts podcast. Um, as always, Stephanie and Kayla here as your wonderful hostesses. Um, so we haven't been able to do one of these in a while due to COVID and not being at work and being at home with our little ones. I know that's been kind of stressful. Do you have little ones? Not little ones, but Aren't big, they big ones. ones? <laughs> yeah, and they're probably not as stressful as a little one because they kind of just hide in their rooms and only come out when they're hungry. She needs so much stuff all the time. I all bet. Yeah, I keep saying, like, I am so, so, so thankful that I do not have a young one during this pandemic because I don't know how I would handle it. So I give you props, Stephanie. (laughs) I don't know how you do it at home with her. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I don't even know. Survive. That's all we can do right now, right? Yes. So who has ever been at the grocery store or out to eat and your kid just like loses their mind to where you just don't even know how to handle the situation? You're so embarrassed of their absolutely crazy behavior. You have no idea what to do. I know I definitely have, and I'm sure everyone else has at one point in their life, and it's horrible. In this episode, we are going to hopefully try and help you deescalate from some of those terrifying meltdowns and or tantrums. So before we get into it, I do want to clarify some terminology. So though meltdown and tantrum can sometimes be used interchangeably, there actually is a difference between the two terms. So the main difference is that tantrums are usually caused by frustration over not getting something that the child wants or needs, while a meltdown is usually due to overwhelm or sensory overload. So for this, uh, for this episode, we'll share some tips for how to de-escalate a situation with your child, even if you aren't sure whether it's a tantrum or a meltdown. We will use the term meltdown, but just know that these tips can help a child throwing a tantrum too. The number one way to survive a meltdown is to prevent them in the first place. Prevention, people. Prevention. While this may not always be possible, finding ways to prevent meltdowns will reduce the number of times that you need to use your de-escalation skills. You know, meltdowns don't generally come out of nowhere. They've been building for a while, whether you were aware of it or not. So watch for signs and try to intervene early. Uh, Think about the last time your child had a meltdown. What was happening? Where were they? When did you first notice that there was something wrong? Watch for physical signs of frustration, um, like crying, tensing their body, holding their breath, repeated questions, shortened attention span, or struggles to communicate. If you see these signs, take a moment, help your child resolve their frustration, help them express what they are feeling and find a healthy way to cope in that moment. Then once you have identified some of the early signs and situations that can lead to meltdowns, do your best to avoid or manage the situation to prevent a meltdown. If you know that your child can be easily overstimulated in crowds, which leads to acting out and meltdowns, find the place that your child can go when they are feeling overstimulated. Or create opportunities for your child if they have trouble recognizing the overstimulation themselves. So Stephanie, what does this look like with a toddler? (laughs) I try to black these moments out when my kids were that age. (laughs) I know it's horrible, but those, some of those times were really, really rough. (laughs) Um, You know, I, the good part about toddlers, I will say, is that usually a lot of meltdowns are food or sleep related. So it does help a little bit that my options are um, limited. 50-50. Yes. <laughs> Usually. That's not to say that she isn't going to throw a tantrum because, like, I moved her blanket two yeah. inches to the left because that does happen. I remember but, those were those were tough times with toddlers, yes. Yes. 
but usually usually yeah. it's sleep or food related mm-hmm. and so i i try to watch for a pattern so is she getting crabby about the same time during the day kind of been in this like detective mode for the past few days so my daughter started daycare so the first day i noticed that she was she was pretty crabby um when i picked her up and so then the next day i thought well maybe maybe she needs a snack so i brought a snack now that helped for the first three minutes of our commute but she's still pretty crabby so today fingers crossed we'll see if this works i brought snack and water and it's just sometimes it's that process of trying to, you know, problem solve and get ahead of it before it happens. You know, there have been times when we noticed that she was getting crabby at the same time every day. And so, you know, we tried to offer her a snack an hour before. So if I offer her a snack at two, then we saw that, you know, those tantrums that she was throwing at three actually weren't that bad. And so you can kind of like get ahead of it. Great detective work, my friend. Maybe you should look into a new profession. (laughs) So keep this in mind for husbands, too. So see if your husband is getting grumpy at three. Try offering him a snack at two and see if it solves it. Or me. I always have snacks hidden everywhere because when I get hangry, you don't want to know me. Look at that. Parenting (laughs) advice and relationship advice all in one. All in one. We are... We're doing it today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So kind of what Stephanie said, it goes for older kids as well. Uh, If my kids go on no sleep or hungry, they are definitely not happy. Their meltdowns uh, just look a little different. Well, maybe not all the time. (laughs) My 11-year-old can still throw a pretty good meltdown. (laughs) Uh, They're just a little funnier when they do it at this age compared to when they were younger. (laughs) Like, really? You're acting like that seriously? Um, the best is to get them on video though. Cause when you get them on video, they can see how they were acting and then they're like, mom, why'd you put that on video? Brilliant. Anyways, <laughs> just tricks of the trade when they get older, like I will get you on video <laughs> and I will show everybody anyways. But it also goes for, you know, kind of what, uh, Stephanie was saying earlier for adults when I'm hungry or hangry as my family likes to call it and grumpy from no sleep. I know I'm not the most pleasant to be around and you know, I'd have a meltdown too. Just, it looks a little different. Than you don't throw yourself on the floor. No, I wish I could though. <laughs> My family might think I'm a little crazy. Uh, I just shut down and don't talk to anyone. And I think that's a lot worse than, <laughs> they think that's a lot worse. You know, they'd rather have me saying like, feed me. <laughs> no, I mean, throwing ourselves on the floor at this age might be a little dangerous, yeah. a little perilous. Yeah, you, you may not get back up for a while. <laughs> You'd have to ask them to help you up. Yeah. And then that would be embarrassing after you throw the tantrum. <laughs> Hello, I need help down here. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's a good reminder. We have meltdowns too, as adults. We they look a little different, but we have them too. And you know, the reason that meltdowns or tantrums look different as adults is because we have tools for self-regulation. We've learned those over time. And so something that we can do for our children when we see meltdowns and tantrums happening is to model those, you know, model those tools um, of self-regulation for them, too. So then they can learn and then they can throw grown-up tantrums instead. Hmm. Hmm. You know, it's really hard for a child to perform a behavior that isn't being modeled for them. So in the moment, if your child is having a meltdown or a tantrum, it's really important to stay calm. It's just so hard sometimes. (laughs) Really, really hard sometimes. Um, But I know if we want our child to be able to calm down and learn how to regulate their emotions, we will have to show them how it's done. 
be the parent. You can do it. Stay strong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you know, keep your body language, your words, your tone of voice, keep them calm. Even as an adult, I know that if I'm having a hard time regulating myself emotionally, it is more helpful for me to be around somebody who is calm and not somebody who is expressing their frustration or their anger. Mm-hmm. It can be very reassuring for a child who feels emotionally out of control to know that there is an adult there who is in control of the situation and wants to help them calm down. It's like having a buoy in stormy waters. It provides a sense of security. Ooh, I like that analogy. Mm. I like it. So it can, it can be hard to stay calm and regulate your emotions in a situation like this. Uh, just try to remember that your child is struggling and needs your help in this moment. Take a moment when things are calm to think about what you can do to remain calm in a moment like this. If you struggle to regulate your own emotions, consider working on it by reading books, articles, or through counseling. You know, meditation, whatever works best for you, do it. Goat yoga. Yep. Just saying. Goat yoga. I've done that before, and it was probably... <laughs> Well, it's okay, so when you were on you, well, yeah, so when I saw it originally, it was like cute little pygmy goats that jump on you and their babies. So, you know, when I saw it, I'm like, we have to do this. So a couple girlfriends and I, we went to this farm for goat yoga and they weren't cute pygmy goats. They were like pregnant goats. They were goats that looked like they hadn't been bathed for a while. And they like, just let them loose and they come onto your yoga mats and they drop little t- <laughs> droppings everywhere. Did a goat lick you? That's what I want to know. Yes. And they'll nibble on you. So when you're like in downward dog, you may feel a little nibble on your leg. Or sometimes they'll like (laughs) buck you. You'll be (laughs) so like I was laughing so hard. My eyes were watering. I just could not stay (laughs) calm. And then, you know, you have roosters in the background like crowing. And there was just nothing relaxing about goat yoga. So if you find a place that has the pygmy goat yoga with the little cute baby goats, highly recommend Ones with farm goats that just aren't used to doing stuff. There are all kind of people in this world, maybe somebody is listening, and they're like, a rooster and farm goats, yes. that sounds great. Yes. So if that's for you. If that's relaxing for you, then I'll, you know, go try it out. I'm glad I tried it. It was an experience <laughs> that I'll never forget. Anyways. <laughs> um, so back to our topic. Um, this past summer, uh, my youngest plays on a baseball team, and his dad's one of his coaches. Um, so we were at a tournament, and he was having a really rough time. He kept striking out. He wasn't making good plays in the field. And, you know, my kid takes his baseball pretty seriously, so when he's not performing to what he thinks is his best, he gets a little angry about it. And when I mean angry, he gets really upset. He comes flying in the dugout, tears coming down his eye, throwing helmets, throwing gloves, which is a big no-no. And as he's getting as angry as he is, it kind of angers my husband. So my husband kind of feeds off of his anger. So when he tries to calm him down, it's not in a very calming voice. It's in a very loud voice. You know, he stands above him, doesn't get on his level, which makes him very, very upset. And then he just kind of shuts down. He won't talk to his teammates. He won't talk to his coaches to where they won't let him go play out on the field again, which makes him even more upset. Um, So it's just kind of a really bad spiral of anger and you know just it's really it's sad to watch as a mom so I do what I know I'm not supposed to do you know while they're out in the field and he's sitting on the bench with his head down I go you know come here come out here and talk to me and we don't talk about the situation at all I just make him take a couple deep breaths tell him it's okay go help him out another way you know him just leaving that situation coming and talking to me taking a few deep breaths he goes back in the dugout his head's high 
you know, he knows we'll probably have a discussion about this later, but at that moment, like he's kind of forgotten and he's calmed himself down and he's ready to move on from it. So you just kind of have to feel your kid out. Like when you see him in a situation like that, you, you know, you know what to do, you know how to deescalate it and you help him out. That's what we're here for. Right. As moms. Yes. You know, and that's also a good example of the next tip, which is to create a calming moment. Um, you know, it's difficult to calm down in an overstimulating or exacerbating environment. Absolutely. Um, if at all possible, remove the child from the current environment like I did with mine. I knew in that moment this isn't done as a punishment, but just as a way to help them calm down. Go to another room or pull your child aside. Help them focus on you and themselves. Speak calmly, softly, lovingly. Do something that helps them calm down. Breathe deeply together. Hug them. Hold their hand. Give them time to calm down. It may not happen quickly, but it eventually will. And don't try to talk about anything yet. A child who is emotionally flooded cannot have a rational discussion about their behavior. Even adults experience this. So prioritize calming down. That's really the best advice ever. You know, this doesn't mean that the child is getting away with anything. You know, consequences, while they should be close to the, be- to the misbehavior, mm-hmm. um, so that children can easily make that connection. In a situation like this, the child needs to be calm before they're going to be able to really understand the connection between their behavior and the consequences. So in this instance, prioritize calming down first. If your child is struggling due to sensory issues, this step will be especially important. If your child is struggling with a loud environment, trying to get them to calm down while still in the loud environment will be nearly impossible. I did this a lot when my when my daughter was a baby. You know, we would have we'd have people over and she'd be really fussy and she'd just start just crying so hard and you go through the checklist right for babies <laughs> um she's not hungry she's she refuse she's refusing her bottle she doesn't need a nap um her diaper is fine she doesn't seem to be in pain and a lot of times what she she just needed a break and you know I was able to take her into another room that was dark that was quiet and just kind of rock her and she wasn't tired she just needed a break from the people and the stuff that was happening she was then peopling for the day yes i I get it sister i i get on that time (laughs) level too (laughs) yes she had had her fill of people Mm -hmm. and you know she just she just needed a break she needed a real thing it's like a for real thing Mm -hmm. too much peopling is sometimes bad for the health Uh, so after you have established a calming moment for your child now is a point where you could try to connect with them Empathy is a great way to connect with your child while they calm down. So if they're old enough, you can talk to them, listen to them, and find something that you can connect with. So can you understand why they might feel the way they do? Have you had similar emotions? Now that my daughter has daycare friends, let's assume that... Yeah. So cute. (laughs) Daycare friends. Um, You know, let's... uh, I mean, let's assume that there's a child that has a toy that she wants to play with and she takes the toy from this child and then obviously the teacher or somebody takes the toy from her and now she's in full meltdown mode you know I can empathize with find like seeing something that's really cool wanting it for myself and then having it taken away I would be pretty upset too (laughs) now and I can empathize with that emotion and I can understand you know how she would feel like that without excusing the behavior it's still not okay for her to take somebody else's toy but I can understand the frustration and I can you know kind of connect on that level with with her I guess if she was old enough to talk to but you know (laughs) 
connection can can be nonverbal too, depending on depending on your child and, and what they respond to. You know, if your child likes being held, you can hold them while they calm down. You can hold their hand while you talk about how hard it can be to share toys. Uh, also taking the time to connect with your child when they are upset will strengthen your relationship, even if there is misbehavior to address. Okay, I know this is really hard to believe, everybody, but I am that obnoxious mom that can tell when there is something <laughs> wrong with my boys, and I won't leave it alone until they tell me. <laughs> I know. It's really it's it's a hard one. Somehow <laughs> believable. I know. Um, even if they need to go cool down for a little bit, um, sure enough, I will be knocking at their door within five minutes um, wanting to know what's up. Um, I hope by doing this, even if it annoys them, shows them that I care and I want to know what's going on. I know oh, it's so hard for me to even say that their teenage years are right around the corner and it will be filled with driving and parties and girls and a whole new world of issues that I want them to be able to feel comfortable enough to come to me when there is a big problem that they are facing, even if it is because they are in trouble or scared. Oh, that was a tough one to say. <laughs> Teenagers. They're practically men. They are. They, and they are. They're starting to look like men with the little mustaches. And one's almost taller than me. I think he is taller than me. And the other one is like looks into my eyes. And I just feel like I'm the little sister following everybody. <laughs> and I'm their mom. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's, it's a tough one to swallow when you just see your littles become bigs. And then they're like big bigs. And voices are changing. And you think it's your husband and it's your 13-year-old son. <laughs> It's a really terrifying moment, and I sympathize with all you moms out there that are going through it right now, because <laughs> it is. It's, it's hard to see your little babies become big babies. <laughs> Once your child has calmed down a bit, now is a point when you can help redirect them and set some limits. So sometimes, you know, I get so focused on telling my daughter what not to do that I forget how helpful it might be if she had somebody listing all the things that she could do. Try to help redirect your child's behavior moving forward by listing all the good options that they have. You know, and of course, establishing limits to those options will be helpful here too. So let's go through some examples of how this might sound. So a child that is overstimulated at a family barbecue and frustrated by request to share their toys... I understand that you don't want to share your special toys. We can't be unkind to our guests. Do you have any toys that you wouldn't mind sharing? Why don't we put on a movie in the living room that everyone can watch together? Let's pull out a couple games everyone can play, and then we'll close your bedroom door to keep your other toys safe. So I'm going to kind of go off topic here because I was reading this really like, I don't know if it was great, but it was kind of an enlightening article um, about sharing toys and kids, and it was a mom writing, and you know she was at the park with her little I think it was a boy and he was playing with his trucks in the sand and he was super you know he was having a good time playing there by himself so I'm sure his mom was having a nice time like getting a moment to herself and another little kid comes up and just kind of expected for her kid to share his trucks with this other little boy and then she was kind of getting judgmental looks from this other kid's mom like why is your kid not sharing so you know then she wrote on like why do we force the sharing thing on our kids when we don't have to really share as adults, like if someone came up to me at work and was standing over me because they wanted me to share my markers, like my special markers that I love so much, 
why I wouldn't share them with, you know, mm-hmm. this coworker. So why do we force this upon our kids? Yeah, that's a good point. And I'm sure it probably came from, you know, the parents wanting to raise polite, kind children. I mean, I want I want I want my daughter to find enjoyment and want to share things with other you know with others I don't want her to grow up to be an adult that like I don't know doesn't doesn't want to do anything for other people or isn't willing to share ever Mm -hmm. but I mean it's a good point we're forcing them to share in situations where we wouldn't reasonably expect an adult to share either yeah oh that's good that's a pretty good article it really made me think like Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if that's something that kids could learn kind of naturally. So, you know, in the park situation, we wouldn't, the child would have the option to share. Uh, But maybe, you know, if they invited a friend over and, you know, if I notice that my daughter is playing with all of her toys by herself (laughs) and the friend is just sitting in the corner staring, you could kind of have a conversation, you know, with my daughter and say, you you know, your friend looks pretty bored over there. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, maybe let's find something you wouldn't mind sharing. Let's do something together and kind of use that moment to teach them when, you know, here's a point when we probably should be sharing something because your friend is bored. Yeah. And they didn't come over here to watch you play with your (laughs) toys. But why not? Um, You know, and and through that, she's going to, you know, if she finds something to share that she would play with with her friend, She's going to have a really great time. It's going to, that positive reinforcement is going to make her want to share in future situations. But then maybe she wouldn't feel pressure to share when she doesn't want to. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Try it out and let us know yeah. if that works. <laughs> Contact me. Just a me. little food for thought. Yeah. <laughs> Email us in 10 years. Yeah. Um, try that with your toddler. Let me know if it works. Um, so I know whether not to do that with my kid. Oh, good point. Good point. I like it. Sorry to get on that little tangent. I just thought it was really interesting and it yeah. kind of made me think like, you know, that's, she does kind of have a good point. Like yeah. I wouldn't share my drink with the stranger that sits down next to me because they're thirsty or my water bottle. I don't know. So yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a good reminder that sometimes we expect things out of kids that we don't even do as adults. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's good. It's good yeah. to think about. Yeah. Good. So back to our child at a barbecue. Yes, child at a barbecue. Um, gosh, I love a good barbecue. So in this way, we can honor our child's struggle with, <laughs> with sharing while still holding to the limit of being kind to our guests. We could also explore how to reduce stimulation. Maybe the child could sit with the parent and listening to calming music. So kind of back to our peopling topic. Um, I know when my kids, especially my older one, have peopled too much, he just kind of shuts down. He needs to, so if he's been at school all day, um, he needs to come home, have that break where he goes down to his room, just calms himself down, doesn't talk to anybody, you know, whether that be just sitting and looking on his phone, watching something on Netflix. He just needs that time to himself before he can go on to his next activity. If sometimes if he goes from one activity the next to the next, he does shut down. And it is kind of an ugly, scary thing to watch you know, it may not be a throwing himself on the ground meltdown, but he just kind of shuts himself down. And it's kind of hard to watch as a parent, your child, like not want to talk. And, you know, they're just, they're just kind of in a pooey mood, I guess, you know? Um, so we know he needs that time where my other kid, you know, he can bounce from, it's probably better that he bounces from activity to activity. I know with my older one, he is a little bit of an introvert and he needs his space and time to be alone. Um, I really don't know where he gets it from. (laughs) 
as I get a good little laugh over there. Not you. <laughs> um, but he does. And, you know, it was hard for us to understand at first. But now, you know, we've seen the repercussions of him not getting that minute to himself. And we respect it. Um, so just, just know your kid and figure him out. Uh, so what about with you and your little one? What's got any special tricks up that wonderful parenting sleeve of yours to redirect? <laughs> Um, you know, at the age that my daughter is, she's a toddler, um, we're not really having conversations mm-hmm. about redirecting. And really at this age, and for babies, redirection is distraction. So you, you just have to move them on to something else. They, they're just not going to understand. So, for instance, <laughs> if your toddler has a doll the story is that <laughs> when they bang said doll against the window, the window breaks... Just saying, for example. <laughs> I don't know anyone that's had this problem. Hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, she doesn't She doesn't know that that breaks the window. She probably had no concept that windows break. So, I mean, we can't really have a conversation about that. It's accidental. She doesn't understand what's going on. The best thing that I can do is remove said doll from her care until she is old enough to understand that we cannot hit the doll in the window. You will break the window and I can't afford to replace my window again. So, you know, it's just, it's distraction. It's moving on to something else. If she is doing something I don't want her to do, like, I don't know, emptying out my purse onto the floor, (laughs) you know, I'm going to put my purse somewhere where she can't get to it. And I'm going to distract her by playing with blocks or something else. Um, You know, or I might, I might move her, show her a bucket that has a lot of stuff in it so she can pull the stuff out of the bucket. She can still like have that same activity of emptying something but it's a bucket full of toys instead of my purse (laughs) and all my credit cards. So, you know, that's, I mean, at this age, that's really what that looks like. So did you have to take a moment to calm down before you reacted to that situation? Um, You know, I actually wasn't home. So all I got was like, (laughs) I got a text was like, Hey, guess what your, what your child did. And then a picture of a broken window. Like what? Yeah. So I remember one time when my boys were little and I was in Omaha visiting family and my husband was here with the boys and all I get is this picture of my kids' names with Sharpie that you could tell was written by them all over the backseat of uh, our car. (laughs) And my husband said, I am just walking around the cul-de-sac right now, breathing through this moment. And I think I had to take a calming moment as well in that situation. But after, you know, he did that walk around, he calmed down, came back to the situation and found out Magic Eraser is really, truly a godsend. And it literally takes everything out off walls, Sharpie off of your car. Like, you know, it's great. It is really a wonderful tool. So there's a little helpful hint for you, too, if your kid writes on the wall with Sharpie that Magic Eraser is great. (laughs) If you have friends with kids, maybe get them a Magic Eraser for their birthday. And I bet they would be very appreciative of it. (laughs) Because those things go in our house so quickly because even at this age, we still find marks and, you know, things on the wall. It may not be markers, but, you know, it's shoe prints or, you know, hand prints or Dorito prints or, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, oh keep getting off of subject here. So the next time that your child is experiencing a, a meltdown or a tantrum, try the tips that we talked about. And keep in mind that de-escalation could be a gradual process, um, especially if your child isn't used to the things that you're doing. 
Um, you know, they may they may take a little longer in that calming moment to feel calm. They may need a little longer with that connection time with you before they're ready to move on to redirection. You know, it'll really be specific to your child in the situation. And what if you can't calm them down through a meltdown or tantrum? What would you do, Stephanie? You know, another option, if this is something that you are really struggling with, is contacting the parent helpline, so 1-800-CHILDREN. And the staff that answer can help talk you through um, how to apply these tips specifically to your situation and your child. They also would probably have some suggestions for local resources that can help you work on this further. And don't forget, if you like what you heard on this episode, subscribe. And if you have any questions on de-escalation or anything you want to hear in the future, just email us at pinwheels at kcsl.org. As always, in this crazy world of parenting, including being in one of those terrifying tantrums, you are never alone. Until next time. (laughs) 